Hey, dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank you for each one of our guests that are here. And Lord, we ask now that you would take this service and use it in a special way. Encourage us, teach us from your word. And Lord, most of all, help us to serve you this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Need an outline? Wave your hand. I think Peter ran off a few more there. And we are in Revelation chapter 11 once again. And uh, we are working our way through the book of Revelation. And um, again, what we're trying to do is we are uh, just... Uh, trying to get a scope and sequence right now, and then we're going to go back and pick up uh, some of the uh, time sequence. We'll be dealing a little bit with that tonight and and, uh, trying to uh, uh, tie in many of the other passages. Uh, We just uh, are only going to be able to touch on Uh, Daniel chapter 12 and a few other places. But let's just read our text once again. uh, Revelation chapter 11. And uh, last time we we did verses 1 and 2. Now we're going to start reading in verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spirit, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people... And, And kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, The spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. But the remnant were frightened and gave glory to to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third cometh quickly. Now, just trying to put this in the overall context, remember the theme of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, and this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, instead of wasting our time, as many do, 
trying to figure out who the two witnesses are. Uh, someone said, yes, it's got to be Moses and Elijah. No, it's Enoch and Elijah. No, it's, it's this one and that one. And, uh, and uh, I've, I've heard sermons, entire sermons preached on the names of these two men. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the names. And so anyone pretending to know them has knowledge that God did not put in his book called the Bible. Uh, be careful when people start talking about things that the Bible doesn't give us information on, we're going to get, you're going to get into trouble. And uh, we don't want to do that. But what we do want to do is try to get the information that God wants us to have from the testimony that is recorded here. And I'll tell you what, some of it is quite fantastic. Uh, I mean, they draw these things in cartoons. There's going to be these two preachers that tells us uh, that enemies are going to fight against them and they're going to open their mouth and it's not going to be a cartoon. Fire is going to go out and kill their enemies. Uh, that is, uh, people try to read into that and say, oh, it must be speaking figuratively, but yet we have two bodies laying in the streets and I just want to touch on a few things here. You see, when the Bible uses figurative speech, it often explains it if God wants us to know what is being said. And uh, look with me very quickly. We'll just touch on this. This is just a rule to help you understand other parts of the Bible. Look at verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Now, we get the great city there, and someone might think, what about New York? What about this city? What about that city? It says, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Now, does anybody know what city we're talking about yet? Uh, some people have a pretty good idea because they've read the last phrase, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, how many people know what city is being spoken about? I mean... Jesus was crucified outside the city of Jerusalem. That is a well-documented historical fact. Not only in the Bible, but uh, 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 300 years later, Constantine's mother was running around Jerusalem looking for the place where Jesus was crucified and all of those things. But what we have here is the Bible giving us a spiritual name for this city, for Jerusalem, Sodom. The city that was so wicked, God had to destroy it. In fact, archaeologists, some believe that they have found the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, they cannot excavate them uh, because they are at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Uh, yet, if you read Lot's testimony, he says in Genesis chapter 18 that the plain, 14, the plain was well watered like the Garden of Eden. Uh, if that's true, and we have no reason to argue about that, the only living thing in the Dead Sea is a little bit of bacteria. And that happened almost 2,000 years before Jesus was born. God is talking about judgment here. He's talking about evil. Egypt is a picture, a representation of the world. It's where the children of Israel were enslaved. 
they had to leave Egypt in order to be free. And the picture or the representation is there is if you're going to be free from the world, you've got to leave some things. You cannot live and stay in the world and serve Christ at the same time. Uh, a new phase of Christianity is come as you are and stay that way. Now, the Bible says you must come as you are. If you try to dress yourself up, if you try to clean yourself up, if you try to make yourself acceptable to God, God will not accept you. But as we all know, he loves us so much that when you come to God just as you are, he won't let you stay that way. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to remove the bondage of sin and many of these things of the earth. He sent these two prophets, these two witnesses to preach. And uh, during this time that we call the tribulation period. And they are going to preach the same way any preacher ought to preach the power that God gives them. Now, he doesn't give preachers today the power to uh, uh, shoot fire out of their mouth and kill enemies and all of that. And that's probably a good thing. Uh, somebody sent me a link to a little video. It was about cell phones in church. And it was some little church out in California. It said, if your cell phone goes off during the announcement time, we're going to charge you $25. If it goes off during prayer requests, $50. And if it goes off during the preaching, you go to hell. And they had a picture of some guy there blowing up in the middle of the sermon. And I'm sitting here going, now that's really cutesy, but uh, that's not what God says in the book called the Bible. Amen? Um, and then it ended by saying, come enjoy our services at our church. And I'm sitting here going, not me. I'm glad it takes more than a cell phone going off to miss out the love of Christ. Amen. Um, it's, it's amazing. But what we want to do here, these men, if we'll go back in verse 2, John was told to measure the temple. But he was told not to measure the court of the Gentiles. We, last week, we went through and the measuring. God always gives the measurements before something is put into service. Amen. And he said, I'm not going to measure the court that's given to the Gentiles. There's a time given here uh, that corresponds with half of the tribulation period. And, of course... Uh, one commentator that I was reading ably pointed out, people who try to understand this passage, understand there's a correlation between these 1260 days and the two halves of the seven-year tribulation. You say that day, those days don't work out. You've got to follow the Jewish calendar, which is 360 days. Every 49 years, they added a month instead of a leap year, once every four years like we do. Uh, and so the calendar uh, that is being followed here is God's calendar. And it says that Jerusalem is going to be given to be trodden underfoot by the Gentiles. And this would seem, though we're not going to be dogmatic on this, 
that it would seem to correspond to the second half of the tribulation. The center point is the desecration of the temple. If you're familiar with the term, the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke about it in the Olivet Discourse. Daniel spoke about it in his prophecies. That is the turning point. That's where the Antichrist, who has made peace in the Middle East, then desecrates the temple, and the Jewish people understand that he is not their Messiah. He is not their Savior. And all of a sudden, these two prophets show up in the city of Jerusalem, and they prophesy for this second half of the tribulation period. And uh, their testimony, though it does not give us uh, the words of their testimony, they're going to tell people about Jesus. That's what the book of Revelation is about. And we're also going to find out that they are going to be pictured here in verse 4 as two olive trees and two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And we skipped just one little phrase here. They're clothed in sackcloth. How many of you remember probably the most famous use of sackcloth in the Old Testament? I'll give you a clue. It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was actually in a city of the Gentiles, Nineveh. Remember what happened when Jonah preached? Everybody in the city put on sackcloth. The king even commanded to clothe the donkeys and the animals in sackcloth that God, pre-adventure, would see their desire to repent and turn from their sins. Well, the sackcloth is not going to be on the inhabitants of the earth because most of them are not going to repent. It's going to be on the preachers, on these two prophets, convicting them or showing the world what the outward signs of repentance are. And again, if you just do something on the outside and it doesn't match what's on the inside, what do we call that? Hypocrisy. Being a hypocrite. And don't be afraid of hypocrites. Be afraid of the Lord. Amen? Be afraid that he will find out your hypocrisy because it's something we're all guilty of at one time or another. It's something we need to watch for. And these men are clothed in sackcloth. The message, how many of you remember John the Baptist's message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was Jesus' first sermon? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, if the kingdom of God was at hand when Jesus walked the earth almost 2,000 years ago, how much closer is the kingdom of God in the future when these two men are going to be preaching? We are going to be at the very doorsteps. In, in fact, the Bible measures the time in days. And uh, you'll notice uh, 1,260 days, and we won't take time to turn there uh, we might touch on it just a little bit later, but in the book of Daniel, chapter uh, 12, right at the end, it tells us about the 1260 days. And then it says, blessed is he that comes unto 1290 days, added 30 to it. And then 
There's another 45 that is added to that. That's 1,335 days, as it is mentioned in the Scripture, 1,305 and 30. You say, why is that important? Well, if these two men prophesy at the end of the tribulation period, this is the end of the second woe. We had seven seals. The seventh seal was seven trumpets. The third, the th- last three trumpets were woes. We get down to, to verse 14. This is the end of the second woe. So we still have the, the last trumpet to sound, which will in turn uh, break open into seven vials. And I'm just touching on the time frame here just lightly. There's 75 days for what is going to yet happen to happen and still be in the confines of the Scripture. And so what he sees is these two witnesses. They're going to prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. Then verse 4 gives us a biblical clue. It says, These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, what that makes us want to do is let the Bible tell us what is being referenced here. Go back to Zechariah. You have Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi ends your Old Testament. And we want Zechariah chapter 4. You say, how in the world would you make a connection to Zechariah chapter 4 from Revelation chapter 11? Well, there are only two ways. One is to get out your Strong's Concordance and chase the word witness or two olive trees through there. The other, the most recommended and the most difficult, is to have read your Bible well enough that the Holy Spirit is able to remind you of what's in Zechariah while you're reading what's in Revelation. Uh, Don't expect, if you read through your Bible once a year, and you've only done that one time, that the Holy Spirit's going to give you freedom to remember those things. You're going to have to have been through the book of Zechariah probably two or three times, a dozen times, uh, before it's in your mind fresh enough that as you read about this, you say, hey, wait a minute, I remember reading about that somewhere else. That's why minimum, minimum requirement. You need to read through your Bible once a year for 20 years. That will help you. Somebody says, Pastor, why do you know so much about the Bible? Well, that's real easy. I've been out of Bible college 26 years last month. Now, I studied the Bible while I was in Bible college. And as a preacher, I'm supposed to read and study the Bible Uh, there'd better be something sticking up there or there's nothing up there. Amen? Uh, And no comments. Uh, We'll keep moving. But the simple truth of the matter is, this is the only way that you actually learn your Bible well enough to study it properly. You've got to go through it time and time again. And... 
when we're done, we're, we will have no better idea as to the names of these men than the men we jokingly refer to giving names that have no correspondence other than characteristics in Scripture because God doesn't want us to know their names. But he's going to tell us an awful lot about them here in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. So here we have the prophet Zechariah. An angel comes and wakes him up, and he's sleepy-eyed there, rubbing his eyes and yawning and trying to figure out what's going on. And he said unto me, verse 2, What seest thou? And I said, I, and I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? So get the picture here. Revelation, the, the angel told John that these are the two candlesticks, these are the two olive trees that stand before the God of the earth. We come back to the book of Zechariah. He's waking out of sleep. What does he see? He sees one candlestick made out of solid gold, just like the one that would have been in the temple that had been rebuilt by, uh, that was being rebuilt, I should say, by Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. And only thing was different was above the candlestick was a golden bowl. And seven pipes came out of that golden bowl to each one of the lamps that were uh, on the golden candlestick. If you look in the back windows there, there is a Jewish menorah. Uh, that is the candlestick. Uh, it was made of solid gold. The Bible tells us 75 pounds of gold went into the candlestick in the Old Testament tabernacle. How many of you wish you could have 75 pounds of gold? Not me, somebody would want to steal it, right? Uh, so what we do here is the olive trees were putting oil into the bowl. The bowl was putting oil into the lamps. What is the picture here? Every night the priest would have to refill the lamps and retrim the wicks. This was a continually self-filling candlestick. The light never went out. And of course, uh, when we talk about the candlestick, we go back to our study of the Old Testament tabernacle, and, and we'll do that in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's continue reading here. Verse 5, Then the angel that talked with me and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. 
Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. Who, for who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Now we're getting a prophecy that is applicable and understood in the day and time which Zerubbabel lived. Now we've got to stop and get the story. The children of Israel had disobeyed God, starting uh, in the very low 600s. Remember, time goes backwards before Christ was born. So about 614, 612, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem, 606. He, he destroyed the city and, and took everyone captive. And, and what is known as the Babylonian captivity uh, began 70 years. The children of Israel were not allowed to live in the city of Jerusalem. At the end of that time, the Babylonian Empire had collapsed. The Persians had taken over. And Cyrus had given the command to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Zerubbabel. And Joshua and a group of Jewish people went back to the city of Jerusalem. They didn't rebuild the, the, the walls of the city at this time. That was going to happen about 75 to 100 years later under Nehemiah. And Ezra would be involved with that. They laid the foundation of the temple. Ezra gives us the story, but it was before his actual lifetime that this had happened. All of the enemies of the Jews had come and stopped them from building the temple. All of a sudden, a guy named Haggai and a guy named Zechariah showed up. And they said, God has sent us to tell you to build the temple. You're going to live in fancy homes and you're not going to build the temple. And, and Zerubbabel had given up uh, hope more than likely because this prophecy addressed him directly. It said, Zerubbabel, you started the temple. You're going to finish the temple. The mountain that is before you is going to become a plain. Meaning the things that are stopping you from building the temple. The barriers that you can't get through. God is going to erase them. You're going to walk through them as if they were not even there. You're going to finish the building of the temple. It says, for who hath despised the day of small things? How many of you remember what happened when they laid the foundation? The old men wept. The young men rejoiced. The, temp the glory of the second temple was actually greater than the first. But if you talk to most Jewish people, you know what they would say? That was because Herod had built such a magnificent building up over top of the temple that's being spoken of here. We would say it wasn't the building. It was because the Savior's footprints echoed in the halls of the second temple. That's what made it great. Amen? And so this prophecy is given and we have... 
the picture here of the candlestick and the golden oil flowing in. And it is said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And let's just now pick up the last few verses here. It says, then answered I in verse 11 and said unto him, where, what are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, what be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, knowest thou not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Now, we go back to Revelation chapter 11, and it says these are the two olive branches, I mean the olive trees, these are the two candlesticks that stand by the side of the God of the earth. So we know that these two passages, though part of the prophecy was directed to Zerubbabel in his day, there is a connection here because John is using the exact same words that ought to trigger in our minds, if we know the scriptures well enough, to go back and investigate Zechariah chapter 4. Now, let's pick up one more piece to our puzzle, and then I'm going to try to put this together if we can. Our study of the Old Testament tabernacle... Solid gold, all of God, none of man. Gold-covered wood is a picture of Jesus Christ as the God-man. Solid gold is a picture of deity. Jesus said what? I am the light of the world. John chapter 1, that light hath lightened every man that lived in the earth. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing here. In this chapter, the golden candlestick burning in Zechariah was the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Here's the reason why these two witnesses are so important. God's word, God's light. Amen? Amen? This is how we know what is true and what is not. This is how we know how to see and to discern with spiritual eyesight what is right and what is not. No matter what goes on, no matter how good the man is that says it, you'd better get out the Word and check it out. Now, how has God designed His Word to go to the world in which we live? In the Old Testament time, it was the Jewish people. They would follow the laws of God. They were a light to the Gentiles. You say, well, how many Gentiles got saved? Well, what about the inhabitants of Gibeon? How about Rahab? How about Ruth? How about the mixed multitude that left Egypt? Uh, there was many people. We go to Acts chapter 2, and there were proselytes of every people and nation under the earth. We have the Ethiopian eunuch, who was a Jew. That's why he went up to Jerusalem to worship. 
And he was reading Isaiah the prophet. In the New Testament, what do we have? The church. Now, is the church the light? No more than Israel was not the light. We take the light to the world in which we live. Amen? And you see, this is how we know that our understanding of the Old Testament tabernacle is proper is because it fits in the Old Testament, it fits in the New Testament, and guess what? It fits in Revelation chapter 11 because we have two men, Zechariah, the two men, the anointed ones, the sons of oil that stood by the God of the whole earth, Zerubbabel, the king, Joshua, the high priest. They were the men that were standing by God. They took God's word and in obeying God's word and teaching God's word, they took his light to the people in which they lived. Amen. So who are these two prophets? Who are these two witnesses going to be? They're going to be two men that God is going to use to take his word to the world in which they live. Now, let me ask you a question. If we have two witnesses here and we have a church, why do we need two witnesses? Well, we believe that the church, Revelation chapter 4, come up hither. The church is gone. So God is going to anoint these two to preach his word just as he used Zerubbabel and Joshua in the day of the rebuilding of the temple. And it's kind of interesting that God would make that connection and connect that vision here with the rebuilding of the temple, because what is going to have to happen at the beginning of the tribulation period but the rebuilding of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem? I can't wait. I, I, I wish I would be here to watch them knock down the mosque and build the temple. I just want to see it. But we will. We'll be able to look over the battlements of heaven and see all of those things. But then the temple will be desecrated. These two guys are going to show up. Now their ministry, let's get back to the book of Revelation, where, believe it or not, actually going to try to cover more verses tonight than we did last week. That doesn't mean much around here, but uh, we're going to try to cover a few more. Amen. So we have now come down to verse 5. And it says that these are the two trees, these are the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And remember, the church had seven candlesticks. So, can't possibly be talking about the same thing. These two men are now bringing the light of God's word to the world. And they're going to do it by prophesying. And if any man will harm them, verse 5, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. 
Now, I'll be the first to admit that's a pretty fantastic verse. Uh, I've heard of stories with fire-breathing dragons, and I've heard preachers described as being fire-breathing preachers. Uh, But nobody ever got burnt, all right? Uh, I don't know what else to tell you except what the Bible says. And you say, well, what about the guys that's 200 yards away with a... Or even now with the super sniper rifles, you can be a mile away and see and shoot an individual human being and know what individual you're shooting a mile away. Can you imagine that? Uh, That is beyond my capability of thought process, but it does happen. It says if they're going to try to harm them, These guys will destroy their enemies. They're also going to have power to shut up heaven. No rain. They will turn water to blood, the Bible tells us. Very similar to what happened in the book of Exodus. And it says, And to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And just to get an idea here, look down to verse 10. It says, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. I mean, these two men are going to have a worldwide ministry because of the suffering they inflict on mankind. Now, We talk about people suffering because of political decisions and all of that, and and we're not going to take time to joke about that tonight because this isn't a joking matter. These two men are going to affect the entire world through their spoken word. I mean, it says all plagues. It's going to be so... uh, Dire while they are prophesying these 1260 days. And I imagine as, as, uh, as will be the case that their enemies will be myriad and, and the bodies will literally be stacking up around them as they preach and try to, and give out the God's word to the world in which they live. But it's going to have worldwide scope and consequence. No rain. Could you? How many of you remembered a couple years ago when it didn't didn't rain? And uh, they're talking about now there was some lake upstate New York that's all drained dry, and the guys are all crying. We can't get our boats in the lake. It's time to go fishing. Listen, it's going to be far worse than just dust and no rain. They're not going to have watering restrictions on your yard because there won't be any yard to have watering restrictions on. We're going to be talking about great, great suffering. But they have a set time, verse 7, and when they shall have finished their testimony. Now notice what it says here. The beast that descendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Now who's the beast that ariseth out of the pit? Remember... The, in, when we get to Revelation chapter 13, the beast or the Antichrist rises up out of the sea. The false prophet 
rises up out of the earth. So we're not talking about a human uh, uh, being here. We're talking about the king of the locust from the pit here in, uh, in chapter uh, ten, 9. The locusts that are like scorpions. How many of you remember that? Their king in, uh, in Revelation chapter 9 is called Abaddon or Apollyon. This would seem to be the one that is spoken of. He's going to be hanging around. He's going to still be there. He's going to fight with these two men and he's going to kill them. Then it's going to be party time. I mean, it's going to be Mardi Gras, it's going to be Christmas, it's going to be the 4th of July, it's going to be everybody's happy day, and they are going to be so jubilant in the death of these men that they're not even going to allow them to be buried. They are going to gloat over their bodies lying in the street of the city of Jerusalem. And verse 9 is a verse that I've alluded to often. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now that makes perfect sense to you and I. I can pull out my cell phone if I have Google on it and push a button and I can know what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Afghanistan, I can send text messages anywhere around the world. I can send emails. I can take a picture of me and send it to my brother-in-law in Africa. And seconds later, he can be looking at what's going on right here. Uh, when were these words written? About 100 A.D. John had no clue as to what was going on. Uh, but God sure did. Amen. And so... We understand how simple these words be, and it makes perfect sense. But a hundred years ago, they were writing commentary saying the book of Revelation makes no sense because how could everybody in the world see the dead bodies of these two men laying in the street of Jerusalem? Because then the best that they could do was Morse code. You can't send a very nice picture in Morse code. Uh, and even that was a marvel. And then they had radio, but now we have communication that you can't imagine. And yet God is still going to rely upon the spoken voice of his prophets. You know what that tells me? In this day and time, we are not going to minimize preaching in the ministry of our church. If it was good enough for Enoch... If it was good enough for Abraham, if it was good enough for the apostles of, the, uh, of Jesus Christ, if it was good enough and will be good enough in the book of Revelation, uh, we're not going to replace our preaching with drama. We're not going to replace our preaching with anything. Uh, I don't claim to be the greatest preacher, but I do preach the greatest book. And we're going to stick with it. Amen. And there, there are applications that are here, and this is just one of the many that we can glean. But after three and a half days, look here. And, and couldn't you see this thing? 
these men tormenting the people of the earth, they're dead. They've finally been, the, the enemy of all mankind has been destroyed. And they're sending gifts and all of a sudden the TV camera focuses in. It's been three and a half days. And these two dead guys are standing up. And great fear fell upon them which saw them, and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. Now, it's interesting. Some people take this voice and, and this place, and they uh, say, See here in the middle of the tribulation period? Well, wait a minute. This isn't the middle. If we understand, this is the end of the 1260 days. This is right at the end of the very end of things. They hear this voice saying, come up thither. They ascend up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Another earthquake. We've had great earthquakes already. The islands have been moved out of their place. The entire world is nothing like it is today. The city of Jerusalem, one-tenth of the city is totally destroyed. 7,000 men are killed. And those that remain said, God must be doing something. They give glory to the God of heaven, finally. If you remember the, uh, uh, the end of, the, of Revelation chapter 9, and the rest which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not. Then one of the themes of the book of Revelation is the refusal of man to repent. This is the end of the second woe. There's only one more left. The only problem is we're going to hit a pause. And we won't pick up the events of that third woe until we get all the way to Revelation chapter uh, 15. And then again, Revelation chapter 15 is going to be spent in praise. It's actually Revelation 16 that's going to give us the details and Revelation 19 is going to wrap up the tribulation period as, as it happens in the scriptures. But just a couple of points and then we're going to be done. Number one, we have a job to do to take the light of the word of God to the world in which we live. How do we do that? We do that through the church. Church doesn't give you salvation. Church can't take away your salvation. But the church is the means with which Jesus is, has designed to evangelize the world. It's no Lone Ranger riding off into the sunset, writing everybody's wrongs. It, it's not television. It's not the mega church ministries. It's interesting. We have more bigger churches than any time in history and less people attending church than any time in history, including the mega churches. You see, they don't bring people to Christ. The TV church doesn't get you close to God. He wants you to be within a hand. If you're going to touch somebody's life, I suggest being within a couple of feet. Amen? That's the Bible way. God's method, uh, he used preaching from the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end of the Bible. 
And so we're going to keep using preaching. I know this has been a little more uh, teaching than anything else tonight, but we're, we're trying to go over these things. And, and uh, there is a set time. God measures the days he gives these two prophets to preach. He gives them incredible power that no one can resist him. Them until their time is up. Guess what? He's got a time for his church to serve him. He told the disciples, you got to work before the night comes. You got to work before the sun sets. Because once the sun sets, no man can work. Once that trumpet sounds, there'll be no work for the church. If we're going to get our work done, we got to get it done now. There's an urgency that we often overlook. Our understanding of the Old Testament tabernacle and the candlestick just gives us a better understanding of what's going on here in the book of Revelation. The Bible is one book, cover to cover. You got to study it. You got to spend some time in it. And who are the two witnesses? They'll be the two men that God chooses to do the preaching during that time. Someone says, if it's, gonna, if it's Moses and Elijah, you're going to have to apologize. I will gladly do so. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to be Moses and Elijah. Just like Elijah, when he came, what did Jesus say, said about John the Baptist? If you're willing to accept it, this was Elijah, the king. This was the forerunner. And so we're just going to follow the Bible pattern. We're not going to name names. But we do believe that these fantastic things that are recorded here are going to happen. Just like the Bible said. Three and a half days, their bodies will lie in the streets. Then they're going to stand up and ascend into heaven. If we understand our time right at this point, there will be 75 days left until God's final judgment. Now that one I'm not going to stand strong on until I see it happen. Amen? But we'll follow the scriptures as best as we can and we'll use them to encourage us to serve the Lord today. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night, and Lord, we just ask that as we have literally just, just scratched the surface here, Lord, that we would remember that it's all about the message of Christ going to the world in which we live. Help us to be faithful in our witnessing, in our missions, giving, and in our service to you. Lord, as this book ends, we even pray tonight, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us bear that in mind, and let us walk as if you were to come today. In Jesus' name we pray. And Before we finish that prayer, as the piano plays, if you need to slip out of your seat and just spend a little time at an old-fashioned altar, the altar is open.